Hello and welcome to Filling the Sink, a podcast from Catalan News. I'm Lorcan Doherty and today we're talking about books and roses. Books and roses, two things that don't necessarily go together in the rest of the world, but that do here in Catalonia, for one day of the year at least. Specifically, St George's Day, the 23rd of April, or in Catalan, La Diara de Sant Jordi. Sant Jordi, you know the one that fended off dragons and all that, he's the patron saint of Catalonia, and his day is a celebration of romance and literature. So in today's podcast, we'll be letting you know what St. Jordi's Day in Catalonia looks like and also celebrating Catalan literature. Coming up a bit later, we'll hear from the acclaimed Catalan writer, Marta Oriols. She's going to read an excerpt from her book, Learning to Talk to Plants. Joining me now are Guifre Jordan and down the line, we've got a very special guest, Yolanda Batallier, a writer and publisher and the director of the Institute Ramon Llull. Welcome to Filling the Sink. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. So St. Jordi's Day is just around the corner. What does this day mean for Catalans, Guifre? Oh, I, I love St. Jordi, to be honest. I mean, St. Jordi is such a special day. It should be a bank holiday in Catalonia. Uh, St. George is the patron saint of Catalonia. So it's a day of joy, a day of, a day of flooding the streets, a day of books, roses. It all stems from St. George's legend. You know, that night who rescued a, a kidnapped a princess, killing a dragon. Who, and, and out of the dragon's blood, some roses appeared, which, which uh, George could give to the princess. It's a bit sexist now, maybe, I know. Nowadays, the tradition uh, has evolved into this day of love, day of uh, reading, day of enjoying. It's all about giving a book and a rose to, to your friends, your family, your partner. It's a fantastic day. So, so it's kind of like a romantic day as well. Would you say it has, is indeed. it a bit like Valentine's Day and other parts of the indeed, world? Indeed, indeed, it's, I'd say it's our Valentine's Day, if you want to put it this way. But with added books, no? Adding books, which makes it more unique. Actually, Lorcan, if you don't mind, and Yolanda, if you don't mind mentioning a personal story of, of myself, I like San Jordi so much. And with my partner, we, we enjoy this day so much that next year, uh, on the 23rd of April next year, we're going to get married, actually. Oh. Uh, Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we decided to get married the, a couple of years ago, but we wanted to do it for St. Jordi, and we realized that the following St. Jordi that falls on a Saturday was three years later, and we were like, well, okay, okay, we'll wait for three years just to make it on St. Jordi. Well, you've timed it well, hopefully, because with the pandemic, it might not have been so easy to do it this <laughs> year or last year. Of course, last year, um, things were, were totally cancelled, postponed. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Yolanda, for the book industry, how important is St. Jordi's Day? It's super important. It's the day. Like, we're saying that it's like the love day, but I, to me... It's the, the books day. It's the, the passion for books. For those who have never been in Catalonia during San Jordi, of course, this year, although we can do a bit and we are hoping that people and bookshops can, can put stands on the streets and people can walk around and, and writers uh, will be signing. And, but hopefully in the future, no, I don't know if in, in 2022 or in 2023, well, 2022 is when Gifre is going to get married. So I, I, I hope it's... I'm not going to work that day. So I'm going to just be focused on that. I hope it's, it's beautiful. But I always like to, 
uh, and I've done it nearly every year to have people from abroad, from all over the world, sharing this year here because it's a, it's a unique experience, no? And, and this rose thing goes back to the 15th century, like Ifrey was saying. But then also the, the book tradition, because they, are, they don't go together, it's said that it started with a Valencian writer and editor, more or less in the 1920s. Then in 1925, UNESCO declared uh, 23rd April, no? 23rd of April, uh, this uh, day of the book. So the two traditions get together. Of course, in my case, being a publisher and being a writer, I always work uh, that day. I'm either as a publisher, as a writer, I'm signing, I'm working, I'm all over. And as you know, for the last year, St. George is not only the 23rd of April, but it goes on for nearly a week. So this coming Saturday, no, 17th of April, a number of writers, we are signing books in Girona, we are signing books in Granulles. So it's like, it's it's expanding, it's getting bigger and bigger. And I think it's it's always beautiful. And going to a personal memory, one of the most beautiful St. Jordis I can remember is one maybe 18 years ago. At, at that time, I was working at Random House Mandadori as an editor. And I worked the whole day being with authors, being with press people. Being, and then at the evening, I'll spit the the Catalan uh, rock band gave this massive concert in front of La Catedral, the, the Cathedral of Barcelona. Every San Jordi is beautiful. To me, it's the most beautiful day of the year. But that one, I have this beautiful memory of every, everyone dancing and singing al spets. It sounds wonderful. I mean, it's just such a brilliant thing to have that there's this celebration on the streets of books and literature and readers get to meet the writers and the people that own the bookshops are out with stalls on the street and people are mingling and obviously this year mingling keeping their distance at the same time yeah with the mask and the distance and everything yeah a little bit of distance of course well, let's not forget about florists as well that's a really big day for florists as well and for for this business Very hundreds important. of thousands of, of rosins are being sold every year and every year i find out a new color of rose that it's on sale. So the normal ones are, are, are the red ones, obviously, but but there are roses of all kinds, and each rose has its meaning. I'm no I'm no expert, but you can find f- roses and florists everywhere. It's very beautiful, and at home we have the tradition of not only buying roses but buying um, a rose plant, and then we we plant it uh, later on, and we have the terrace full of roses, as Gifre saying, of different colors. From every San Jordi year, no, which is beautiful. Wow, like, that's, this is awesome. from 2014. <laughs> wow, that, that's perfect. That's perfect. That's a great, great idea, actually. <laughs> to find out what's going on all week, as Yolanda said earlier, it's kind of evolved into a week-long celebration. Uh, go to our website, catlandnews.com, and follow our social media channels. Now, Marta Orriols is a writer from the city of Sabadell, just north of Barcelona. Her first novel, Learning to Talk to Plants, was published in 2018 and has won several literature prizes. It has been translated into many languages, including English. For this week's episode of Filling the Sink, Marta spoke to us and read an excerpt from her book. So my name is Marta Urriols. I live in Barcelona and I've published uh, three books so far. And uh, the second one, Aprendre a parlar amb les plantes, was translated into several languages, between them the English one. 
for me it was it was quite a surprise that so many people like to read a book about death and about grief. I thought uh, everyone would get depressed or something, but then I realized that the same need um, I had to write um, these feelings, which are very profound, you know, and uh, are feelings that uh, it's difficult to find words to describe them. This necessity that I have, uh, the readers also had it. To, mm -hmm. to, uh, they, they wanted to read things that all of us uh, suffer or feel, but we don't know how to put words to that feelings, you know. And I think uh, in our society in general, we don't know how to deal with death, with grief. And this is a very real book. I mean, it's not a book that uh, treats death and grief as a grandiloquent thing, you know. It's like a very quotidian thing, very physical feelings of someone who is alone, who is uh, sad, of course, but she's also anger with her partner because he was with someone else. So uh, it's a very re realistic book. And I think the way Paula tells her grief helps readers to understand uh, how we have to face this uh, loss and with the, the grief. You linger like something unresolved. That's how the energy feels. Like those endless to-do lists you always made, lists of things we never found the moment for, remember? Organize the photo files, set up auto pay for the parking garage, buy varnish to restore the table out on the terrace, call the repairman about the noise from the extractor fan. On the same list, I rack up rebukes I'll never voice to you, only to myself. And I suppose it must be normal, this pressure on my heart filled with grievances and tears. When hating you doesn't work, and I really want to weep, I use the muscles in my neck to hold back the tears, to keep myself from succumbing to a mood appropriate to my double tragedy. I go over each and every one of the neck muscles in a soft voice until I've managed to turn you into a cold anatomy poster, gradually distancing myself. Sternothyroid, sternohyroid, stonoclidomestoid, I repeat in a relentless string. But you always come back, with your glasses on and the list of things to be done in one hand. From bed, I look out on the neglected terrace. Well, the plants have steadily died. How did you do it, Moro? It must not have been enough to water them. You, you talk to them. Not openly, never in front of other people. You said that talking to plants was a private transformative act, an act of faith for those who don't believe in miracles. I get up, take a breath and add to my list. Learn to talk to plants. That was Marta Oriols, and our thanks to her. The English translation of her book, Learning to Talk to Plants, is published by Pushkin Press. Now, Yolanda Batallier, who's here with us today, is director of the Institut Ramon Llull, a public body which promotes the study of the Catalan language at universities abroad, as well as the translation of literature and essays written in Catalan and Catalan cultural production in other areas such as theatre, film, circus, dance, music, you name it. But as we said, with St. Geordi's Day just around the corner, it's literature that we're focusing on today. Yolanda, would you be able to give us a bit of an overview of Catalan literature today? Are we talking about a large community of writers? Uh, I could go on forever. The community is growing and growing, and it's my passion. And uh, nowadays we have this mixture of, of generations that have been, uh, a lot of us have learned reading with them, no? writers, poets, such as Maria Barbal, Antonia Vicens, or Sergi Pamias. But then you get 
Obiel Mesquida, no? the, 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 the poet and writer in the Balearic Islands in Mallorca. But then you get the next generation, for example, with Flavia Cumpan, this woman who is traveling all around the world. And, and this last pandemic year, she's set in Argentina and she writes about traveling. She does poetry, she does uh, prose. And then you have this other generation, which a lot, lots of women in their 40s, like Marta Urriols or Maria Climen or Carlota Hurt or Najat El Hashimi or Alicia Kov. And then uh, again, eh, writers such as Bashauli from Valencia, who is an amazing writer. And then you have the younger, younger, younger generation with Paul Guask or Anna Gask. I mean, uh, this could be endless, but I think going back to your question, the important thing is that we cover fiction, nonfiction, poetry, YA, yeah? young adult literature, children literature. Now there are these magnificent illustrators and I haven't talked about the classics. <laughs> the classics are another infinite, no? And I met starting, for example, with Marcelo Dureda or, or with Aurora Bartrana or with Joan Maragall or with Josep Pla. It, it's endless, no? But the important thing is that all these names that 20 years ago were not translated, every time they are being more and more translated. And this is, this is very important, very, very important. And this, Instituto Monlul, that's part of the mission is getting all these writers, the, the classic ones and the nowadays ones translated. You've given us so many names there. I think we'll, we'll put we'll put those names on our website so that people are able to check them out if they didn't catch there them There are all. so many more, though. There are so many I'm more. Sure. <laughs> I mean, one interesting thing you mentioned there, people abroad mightn't realize, uh, when we talk about Catalan literature, you mentioned people from Mallorca and from Valencia. Do you want to just give people a, a, an idea of the kind of extent of Catalan literature? Yeah, uh, Institut Ramon Llull represents the li all literature written in Catalan. So this is the one written in Catalonia, but as you were saying, also in Valencia, also in the Balearic Islands, also in Andorra or in L'Allier, so or in the Catalonia North, no? Juan Luis Luis, for example. But I think something that is very important, and it's going back to your initial question, somehow as um, I don't know if you've heard of this book, Sebastià Portell, Las Nenas que llegien al lavabo, girls that uh, were reading in the bathroom. Uh, I'm, I'm referring to it because it's somehow breaking the traditional canon, no? And somehow, as the Hélène Sissou, the, the French writer, was saying, we don't need the past to create the future. And this is why I wanted to mention all these so many different voices are creating the future, 50 years ago, maybe it was more white man uh, of somehow rich or of a, a, no, of a, a wealthy uh, family. Or... Yes, and, and every time more, the difference, not different voices are reaching every time more and more the writing space. And this is very rich. I, I was mentioning this Sebastián Portel book because he's defending another way of reading and another way of writing. Do you think readers... Say, for example, well, we're doing an English podcast, so let's say readers in English. Are they l looking for something specific when they come to a book that was originally written in Catalan? Specific themes or topics or styles? Or authors? Even? Yeah, I have to, to say translation-wise, as I was saying, we are growing. Getting Catalan literature translated into English has always been a challenge 
but this last 2020, a 12% has already been translated into English, which is important. Like the first language in which Catalan literature is translated is Spanish, but then we have English this last 2020, then French, then Italian, then German, then so many other languages, the Greek, we are also quite well translated in Poland. But I think for someone, as you were saying, no, for an English reader, for an Irish reader, to get in touch with uh, Catalan literature, I think since every time there is more diversity, as we were saying, no, it really depends. I always think a good way to get to know Catalan literature is starting with Marcel Rodureda. For example, now Death in the Spring has been translated into Penguin. But um, I don't know, maybe they want more something of a woman nowadays. Well, they can go, as you were saying, to Marta Urioles and learning to talk to plants. I don't know. It's a question of trying. No? And maybe you're going to like this and then this will take you to another book. Do you think for Catalan writers, it's important to have their work translated into, for example, English? It's key. It's not important, it's, it's really key for Catalan writers and for any writer. English publishers for lots of years were not that open to consider other languages and translation. Thanks God, these last 10 years, this has been changing. And there are plenty of independent publishers like Open Letter, like Archipelago Books, like Another Stories, all these from the Stampa, this publishing house that does only publish Catalan literature translated into English. So this is, is very key. And the translators have a key role into it. No? I, and this is very important. And it's important, of course, for Catalan literature, but it's also important for all literatures because the more voices we learn, the, the more different uh, literatures we discover, the richer we are as readers, as writers. I've always defended that translators are like second writers, no? Or, or that they're also authors, no? They have this key role. So from Institut Ramon Llull, uh, we take care of all of this happening, no? Of, of making sure that publishers all over the world know it every time more from Catalan literature. We also take care that there is this solid nets of translators not only into English, but into Chinese, into Turkish, into, into French, into, and we take care of giving them tools to get to know our literature. And then the most beautiful thing, and, um, I, and I, I was part of it, and I thought it was beautiful, Last Semana del Libran Catalan, that great. you know, yeah. because yep. we Catalan Book Week. Yeah. Last one, last September 2020, there, there was something very beautiful online, like we are doing now, that um, different publishers, different English publishers and editors were recommending to each other Catalan literature. Yolanda, when we were talking just before uh, we started recording there, you mentioned a very big event that's happening next year at the London Book Fair. Yes, in 2022, we're going to be spotlight, so guest literature in the London Book Fair. So uh, we've been already for the last year working hard with the whole team, the Lul team and the London Book Fair team to do the warming up, to do gatherings between English, uh, English publishers, not only in England, but in the US, in Australia, in New Zealand, with Catalan publishers or Catalan writers. So we are doing all the warming up so that in 2022, 
our literature, our writers will be guests there. It sounds fantastic. We're going to have to catch up again when that happens. Yeah, why not? Another podcast on on the London Book Fair with with you, Yolanda. You. I would love. I would love that. And doing conversations like the one now with you, of course, it helps because uh, it it makes this normal. No, it makes this this is something that happens that happens more and more that Catalan literature is more and more translated into English. So, yeah, we are really happy to be here and share all this with you. Well, Yolanda, it's been absolutely great speaking to you today. I have one final question, actually, and I know it's a very personal thing, but I wonder if you would have any recommendations that, say, uh, someone learning Catalan who isn't quite maybe ready to read the most difficult book. Are you say. talking about yourself, Larkin? Well, for example, <laughs> <laughs> okay. what kind of recommendations could you give an introduction to Catalan literature in the original language? This is like a mother choosing among all the children. But having said this, the first question, and I, I asked someone who wants to start reading in another language, is what do you like? So this is always important. But of course, if the level is like a beginner, a way to start is with picture books with text, not only for children, but for adults. I mean, in France, in Italy, also in England, the culture of adults buying picture books is increasing and it's also happening in Catalonia. And I think we have to foster it because if someone is a beginner in another language, a picture book can be a very good way to start. And then from this, it really depends if the person likes poetry, or shorter stories. Uh, shorter stories could be another way. But I always think, and I, I think it's important to talk about them, that picture books for beginners is always a good way to, to get into another language. Time now for our Catalan phrase. What is it this week, Gifre? It's una rata de biblioteca. Do you know this I'm one? A, I'm a, I've never heard it before, but you're calling me a library rat, I think. Yeah, yeah. No offense, but but yeah. I mean, it, it's it might sound weird for you, but it, it is not necessarily is it? offensive. It's someone who spends all their time in the library. Yeah, and someone who's a rat. No, no, no. <laughs> it's someone who's uh, really likes books, not necessarily in a library, but you know, someone who's really eager to it's read like and a read. A bookworm, that's how you say yeah, it that's in English. The, that's the word Which in English. also sounds a bit weird if you think about it, but... <laughs> yeah, but it, it, yeah, it's common language, that's what it is. Rata de biblioteca, yep. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Filling the Sink. If you're looking for more information on St. Jordi, or indeed a lot of those authors that Yolanda mentioned, go to catalannews.com and we'll have lots of information there. Yolanda, it was really great talking to you today. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks to you, Gifrey. Yeah, thanks. Pleasure. And thanks, of course, to you as well for listening. We'll be back with another episode of Filling the Sink next week. Until then, from me, Lorcan Doherty, and all of us here at Catalan News, bye for now. Adieu.